Welcome to our Manchester City post-match episode. On today's show, we're going to give our one-word match reaction. We're then going to talk about Marco Silva's lineup changes that he made. We're going to delve into some tactical analysis. We're going to rate the ref. And then we'll be giving you our man of the match. This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. All right, James, what was your one word match reaction? My one word match reaction is going to be deserved. And as much as it pains me to say this, this is probably the first match this season that we frankly deserve to lose. And I think looking at this set of fixtures, most fans would have written this one off at the start, going away to the defending champions, an amazingly good side. And they outplayed us over the course of the 90 minutes, fully and deservedly took the win. We weren't clinical enough. We created chances as usual, but didn't finish any of them. And so, and, and city did, they, they created great chances. They had great finishing and despite, you know, some some good defense for the most part, there were those little lapses that allowed them to score and and we paid. We paid the price. What about you? What did you think? I think that's a fair analysis. My one word is going to be indifferent, really. And that's because as you said, City are one of the best teams in the world, even with squad rotation. And so when you're going away to the Etihad, you can't really expect a whole lot when you're taking into account all the different factors that come with it. We put in strong showings against other top clubs away this season so far, but it comes down to tired legs, tired minds. It was extremely cold out and City are just a different beast, really. Yeah, I thought they looked miles ahead of any of the other teams we've played this season in terms of quality and just their understanding with each other. But let's jump into the lineup changes because there were there was a substantial change to the tactics. We went with three at the ba- five at the back rather. So we had Luca Dean, Yeri Mina, Michael Keane playing the central role of a back three, and then Kurt Zuma and Seamus Coleman on the right. What did you think of that decision to switch to the five at the back? I thought it was interesting because we haven't seen that yet. A lot of fans were actually calling for it, even some of the early earlier matches as well. But it makes sense because, as a lot of people have commented, it seems that Marco Silva took note of Manchester City being handed their first loss of the season against Chelsea, the fixture prior, and essentially went with the same tactics. It just didn't quite pan out for it, for us as it did for Chelsea. And that's a difference in in quality and squad depth, essentially. But I thought that at the end of the day, he got it wrong and he switched but you got to allow him to tinker and that sort of thing, especially this season. Yeah, it was good to see us switch things up and, and give it a bit of a different look, perhaps trying to thwart any preparation that City made tactically, expecting us maybe to stick with the tried and true 4-4 four, four, or 4-3-3 four, three, three rather. And so I think the thought process that went into it and and the reasoning behind it was very sound. It's just that our execution of it was was relatively poor. I think what we thought would have been, you know, using our outside backs, Dean the wing as a wing back role, Dean and Coleman 
as sort of a, a pressure valve to release some of the the pressure that City was bringing down the middle because they do like to play relatively centrally. And it, it really just didn't work particularly well. I thought that the three center backs looked a little jumbled or congested in that they were confused about who was taking what defender, who was marking who, what balls that they should be going for versus looking to mark someone. So it did pose us some difficult problems. And it's tough to roll out a new tactical formation against the defending champions and, in my opinion, by far the best side in the league. Exactly that. On top of that, we played Sigurdsson and Gomez in the middle. Ghana was not fit. And that kind of posed an issue too, because you didn't have that third central midfielder to help connect play, right? You don't have that generalized triangle in the middle of the pitch that you usually do to move the ball forward and kind of hold a little bit more possession. Then we started Calvert-Lewin up top, which I was really excited about, Richarlison and Bernard on the ring, on the wings. And I thought that was a pretty good move. Richarlison started on the right. You could tell he wasn't too keen of it, and they switched sides during the match. Now, it was kind of expected. Possession was 67% to 33%. And I think we set up knowing that was going to be the case. I just don't think that it panned out the way that we were hoping. And that just comes down to lack of finishing and just pure instinct in front of goal. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it at our pre-match episode. It would be nice to see Calvert-Lewin start because of what he offers in terms of holdup and strength. And we saw that play out because he actually did a really good job despite not really seeing much of the ball being very isolated up top. We had two excellent chances within the first 14 minutes to score, and that would have changed completely changed you know the whole game. We had Calvert-Lewin with a nice little turn, and, and he fired it wide, or, or actually Ederson made a, a nice save. And then Richarlison, off of a beautiful cross by Luca Dean, really set up nicely and just fires it over the bar. And so if either of those had gone in, we would have been in a much better position, obviously. But that didn't really play out. I, I want to ask you this. Do you think that the five at the back was born out of Ghana not being fit? Or do you think it was something that the team planned all week for and then you know just kind of went with it? Because I think if we have Ghana playing in that you know deep-lying midfield role, what he offers winning the ball back and pressuring doing all the things we know he does well, then you don't necessarily need the five at the back because he's almost, you know, he's a hybrid, more defensively minded. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a really, really good question. And thinking it through, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that, yes, that is probably a big part of it. You could tell that, as you said, specifically the three center backs were pretty uncomfortable with playing in that formation now, part of that is just the movement of the city attackers is is brilliant, perfectly timed, all that good stuff. Yeah, I think so, because if you're sitting with two central midfield spots, I don't think you find a balance between only picking two of them if you have to, right? You're not going to drop Gomez and only play Sigurdsson in Ghana. You're not going to drop Sigurdsson and only play Gomez in Ghana. I think that that was probably a huge piece of it. And it, you could kind of tell that they weren't well-drilled or well-prepared or feeling comfortable to do it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think with Ghana in there, it gives us more more bodies in midfield, which allows us to pressure, again, sort of match up more evenly with their midfield. Whereas the way that they ended up, the way that it ended up playing out was that they saw a lot of the ball. They established a very high line. None of their possession was for the sake of possession. You know, they're always looking to ask questions of our midfield and like you said, their understanding and movement off the ball, it was just phenomenal. Pep Guardiola, you know, all the 
all the plaudits that he gets. That is a very good side. And even, you know, with our compact defense, they were still kind of cutting us open and creating chances almost at will. And it looked like at any time that they could could thread a few passes together or get in behind because they have players that are so skilled on the ball, but also players with incredible pace that could push our back line and keep them honest and, and you know, get in behind. So we were forced to kind of sit back and, and try to keep them in front of us. And then anytime we did try to get up and get offensive, on the break, they were they were looking to to probe us and to get in behind. So it was really hard for us to find that balance tactically of when to get forward and when when to stay back. And I think that that overall, the tactical battle was won by City throughout pretty much the whole match. Yeah, it comes down to two pretty much major pieces. Their press is unrelenting and really efficient. Anytime anyone got the ball specifically on defense... Luca Dean, for example, or Yeri Mina, we saw play many, many terrible passes out from the back. They were swarmed by like three players immediately. When you pair that with the fact that we only had two central midfielders, we just, we couldn't retain any sort of possession. And that's not usually going to be the main goal against City, especially at the Etihad, for example, but it makes it really hard to build up play when you don't have that extra man in the center of the pitch. Those two things together essentially spelled the end because with the way we set up, the way we knew that they would play, we are banking on one thing. And that is when we create chances, because we do, we do, then we have to finish them. And if we've learned anything about Everton this season, we don't finish them. That is the one major takeaway that we can have this season. And and your point on the press is, so spot on because they did. And, and again, this kind of talk goes back to what we talked about in our pre-match episode when we talked about, or when we talked about how city would, you know, try to cut off the lines to Gomez and Sigurdsson and force potentially Ghana to see a lot of the ball. And with Ghana out, they sort of, that sort of pushed back and they allowed our center backs to have a lot of the ball, but not giving them any kind of outlet. And so that resulted in Yerry Mina seeing a lot of the ball and playing a lot of long balls out I don't think it's unfair to say that was probably his worst game so far. His long ball out directly led to their first goal. Uh, he left it way short and then just instantly City string three passes together and it's a goal and it's a well-taken goal by Gabriel Jesus. But that that's those aren't the players that we but we rely on to to create things for us. And when they're sitting on their own 18 with nothing in front of them, they just have to hoof it. There's generally not a lot good that's going to come from that. And so that's... A, testament to City's resilience and, and their efficiency in the press. Right. And speaking of Yerry Mina, he had that short clearance that led to the goal immediately. And then their third goal, Raheem Sterling, one of the shortest players on the pitch, had a free header inside the box. And that was a combination of Kurt Zuma playing right back. You could tell he was pretty gassed and just didn't try hard enough to prevent the cross in. And then Yerry Mina was just essentially in no man's land and allows Raheem Sterling a free header. And so that was, as you said, his worst performance by far. But at the same time, I don't know that that calls for long-term inclusion of Kurt Zuma. He's been really good, but you have to take into account the fact that Yerry Mina's our player. Kurt Zuma will most likely not be allowed to leave by Chelsea. And so we really got to work on the Keen-Mina partnership. I'm fully on board with that. The fans that are getting on Mina's back forget that 
a few games ago, he had stepped in in his first Premier League start against Chelsea away and played brilliantly. I think the combination of a new tactical system against the reigning champions away is just a recipe for a bad game if there ever was one. And so I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt. He's still good. He did have some lapses today. Like we talked about, our our central defenders sort of being confused about their role. There was a lot of the zonal marking that just wasn't working at all. And so they ended up having players making runs into the box and no one would pick them up. And that was the that, that was their second two goals. Uh, Jesus makes a great run and no one finds him. And, and it's a very good cross, but they're still with the height and power of our center backs. There's no excuse for a player that's less than six feet tall to be winning anything. There should be a man on him, should be tight. That's just unfortunate. And, and defensive lapses like that will, will make teams like City will always make you pay. And we saw when we when they had defensive lapses, for example, you know, the Richarlison chance, Kyle Walker botches what should be a relatively easy clearance and it falls to Luca Dean who puts it in and then Richarlison fires over. Those are the types of chances that Man City were converting. They were taking advantage of those mistakes. And we don't have the clinical finishing to be able to exploit when a team like City makes those mistakes. Exactly. And I'm just racking my brain to figure out how we're going to get the finishing to be able to do that. Last season, we saw Jank Tosin come in in January and my man would score a different type of goal every match. And it felt like some of them were just impossible odds. Yet, Jank Tosin can't get a start. Calvert-Lewin looked pretty good. But our wingers are contributing absolutely, essentially zero goals. Walcott had two in his first three matches. Nothing since. Lookman doesn't have any, although he's been, you know, pretty strained for minutes. Bernard hasn't contributed a goal yet. You're wondering where are they going to come from and are we all of a sudden going to see Bernard and Walcott just start firing them in next season, for example? My question is going to be, if we do sign a 15-20 goal a season striker over the summer by the grace of God, is that really going to fix our issues out on the wing though? Maybe if Lookman can figure out how to play on the right-hand side and become pretty consistent, then with Lookman or Charleston, that could be a good a good duo. But otherwise, I just really don't know. Well, let's talk about Lookman because Silva obviously saw that what we were doing wasn't working with Bernard and Richarlison. And so on 56 minutes, he took off. He brought on Lookman and Walcott to kind of try to change things up. And I thought both of them looked really good. So did I. Walcott had a really good chance from across from Lookman actually literally like four yards out from goal and just essentially hit it into the ground, made it pretty sloppy. Lookman, however, he essentially had a beast of a match for the rest of the time. I mean, he made Kyle Walker look kind of sluggish. He looked direct. And a fun fact for you, from Twitter, Matt Cheatham, who's a football statistician at Sky Sports, he brought up the point that Lookman created three chances from open play in only 33 minutes this match against City, that's more than any other Everton attacker or midfielder over the last five matches combined. And combined meaning, this tweet was kind of confusing. Combined means that, you know, per player across five matches, not all of the players combined across five matches, if that makes sense, James. Yeah, it does. And he looked excellent. This is what we've come to expect with his substitute appearances. And he's only been given the one start, which... Against Newcastle, of course, wasn't his finest performance. But yeah, he looked a completely different problem for City. They looked 
they very much struggled to shut him down. His ability to to turn quickly to make things happen. And he fired in three really good crosses, like you said. The chance for Walcott, though I thought Walcott played okay when he had the ball, going direct, being direct, using his pace. He broke away a few times. That miss is why we as fans are so frustrated with him. Because that is about as close to a sitter as you're going to get against a team like Manchester City. And somehow he manages to scuff it into the ground and it goes over the bar from six yards out. Like the physics of that, how does that even happen? And so that, that just speaks to like, I don't know if it's the yips or whatever. It's something with this team where you just choke in front of goal. And then Richarlison also had another really good chance and he fired that one over the bar as well. So the finishing remains a massive concern. Lookman, I think at this point needs two or three starts in a row to really show what he can do because the one start, it didn't come off, but to immediately relegate him back to the bench seems a bit harsh to me considering when he's been on the field as a substitute, he looks much, much better than any other winger that we have, save perhaps Richarlison. But even better than Richarlison is what he does technically and in close spaces, his ability to wiggle out is rivaled perhaps only by Andre Gomez. Agreed. And it's beautiful to see. Here's the issue we have with our wingers that not a whole lot of people are talking about. And that's the imbalance between which side they play. Think about it this way. Bernard plays on the left. His best play historically is always from the left or through the middle. Richarlison, he prefers the left. Yes, he can play across the front three. But again, he wants to cut in on his right foot. Lookman, same deal. Prefers the left-hand side, likes to cut in a whole lot, maybe run across the line a little bit. You then look on the other side of the pitch, and we only have Walcott. So you could say, okay, well, we'll start Lookman. And he's got most of his substitute appearance on the right-hand side for Walcott. And I'm wondering, is that why he's been ineffective? Because he came on yesterday on the left-hand side, and he looked great. And so it's really coming down to, I think, trying to figure out, how are we going to fit? at least two out of the three of Lookman, Bernard, and Richarlison at the pit, on the pitch at the same time, especially without playing Richarlison up top and without dropping Sigurdsson? It's a really tough question. And, and, and that is a good point in that the, the three of our four wingers prefer the left and there's only one spot. And so what do you do? And I guess I don't really have the answer. I would say as of now, I would go with a front three of Lookman, Calvert-Lewin, and Richarlison. Because although I do have high hopes for Bernard in the longer term, right now, it's just, I think Lookman has shown the ability to create more. The stat that you mentioned speaks for itself. He's done more than anyone else in half an hour against the reigning champions. That stat alone should warrant him getting a start. And even if it's on the right, I understand that it's not his ideal position. But at the same time, if you're a professional soccer player, switching wings shouldn't really be too much of a detriment and maybe take it with a grain of salt because it does affect some things. You know, if a player prefers to cut back versus X, Y, Z, but Lookman with his ability technically in the, in those tight spaces, I think will grow more if he has more experience on the right. And he's always looking to play crosses in, which is something Walcott hasn't done particularly well. And our right side in general hasn't done very well. So that would be my front three going forward. I think Calvert-Lewin showed enough to warrant perhaps another performance, another start. And we know that Richarlison plays best on the left. I think all fans, for the most part, agree on that. So I think Bernard maybe could could benefit from a spell on the bench. All right, James. So 
let's talk about Craig Poss and the referee. How did you think he performed? Better than what we've come to expect based on the refereeing decisions and stuff that we've been subjected to this season. There was, of course, that one challenge on Calvert-Lewin that got a little you know, reaction and got a little chippy and he ended up getting a yellow card despite it was, was it Delph? Yes. Delph came in with the studs and Calvert-Lewin understandably got very frustrated. So, but besides that, I thought that it was a pretty clean game. So I'd give the, I'd give Pawson a good rating. I'd probably give him a seven out of 10. But part of that is because I don't think he had too much to do. There weren't too many big decisions that came about. There was a couple offsides that were clear. There was, other than that, not too much, again, for him to do. It wasn't chippy. It wasn't getting out of hand and something that he would need to rein in. So just by default, I'll give him a seven. That's a pretty good point. And now that you mention it, it really was a pretty clean match. And that's always nice to see. I always liked watching Everton based solely on the fact that we've never been relying on dirty fouls or aggression, looking at you, Funes Mori. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you think back to the Newcastle match, I think they had close to 20 fouls, if not 20 fouls on Everton. City, they don't need to. They have most of the ball. They do their thing. When they're up 3-1, not a whole lot of reason to foul anyway. I thought that it's nice to see a clean match, and I agree. I might give him a six just because it's slightly above average, but I wouldn't say for me seven or eight would be good. Otherwise, let's wrap things up, James. Who was your man of the match for Everton? My man of the match is going to be Luca Dean, continuing his sublime run of form. Most of what City was doing was coming down the right-hand side, I thought. Honestly, he did a pretty good job of shutting down their left. He did have that one foul on Mares outside of the box that gave them a pretty dangerous opportunity to score. But other than that, he really just shows like he is class personified. To come in for Leighton Baines, who has been stalwart, a mainstay for us on the left for so long, and just look completely settled. His crossing, you know, it's it's his defensive duties, he's very determined and and he does a good job, but then also what he offers going forward. We know he scored the free kick the other day at Watford. And then his crossing, though inconsistent, a lot of the times he hits the first man, which is very frustrating. But when he he does get such good whip on the ball, the in-swingers, and deservedly will find himself with, I think, a fair amount of assists come the end of the season. Who is yours? That's a good shout. I'm going to go with Adam Lookman, that is because, again, that ridiculous stat, three chances created in 30 minutes or so. I've been pretty harsh on him in the last couple of weeks. I feel like we haven't seen much tangible from him, but yesterday he lit it up, whether that's because of which side he played on or what the, the time that he came into the match as opposed to starting. And I think that he, as you said, deserves two or three starts in a row starting next week. Yeah, I think it's high time. Like you can't punish a player for for having one bad game. If he can be given three chances, I guarantee that he's going to come up with one very good performance at least. Um because once you develop that consistency and and part of, you know, the advantage he has is coming on as a substitute is the tired legs which he can then exploit being rearing and ready to go. I think he needs to learn to 
he'll have to learn to to kind of contain it and and maintain consistent levels for 90 whole minutes rather than kind of go all out like he can he's afforded that luxury when coming on as a substitute you know what i mean absolutely so to wrap things up look forward to our tottenham pre-match episode midweek this week it'll be at goodison park that should be a fantastic one Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.